joining us here at Grab Them By the Pod. I am Kevin here with Jesse, and we're back after a slightly longer than usual hiatus. How was your trip to Houston? You have a good time? Oh, I certainly did. I feel like I came back about five pounds heavier, as I always do whenever we go to visit my wife's family down there. They are too good to me, uh, and they make me all kinds of delicious Mexican food that I can't get up here in Connecticut, so I take full advantage. You had mentioned before that you were worried about going to the loyal opposition, the the red states of America. How did that turn out? Any problems there for you? You know, surprisingly, Jesse, I didn't really have any problems, and maybe that's just because I was kind of isolated in a in an area that's predominantly Mexican-American, and their feelings towards President Trump are similar to my own. But, you know, I, I didn't experience any negative things. I did see a few Make America Great Again bumper stickers while I was there, and, and Trump bumper stickers, but nobody uh, was outwardly uh, against the progressive agenda. And to be fair, you'll see that half of America is like that. They agree with that, no matter what we think. So yeah, it's, it's nothing crazy. Well, that's good. I'm glad you had a really good time there. As always, you sent me these wonderful pictures. I'm, well, I consider myself agnostic. I was raised Jewish, and you love sending me pictures of the Mexican synagogue down there, and it's still standing. I love it. Still there. Every year it gets a fresh coat of paint. looks better and better. Where you're from doesn't need to determine what you believe in. Um, yeah, so I'm glad. Well, you know, enough of that fun stuff. Now we get to the sad stuff. Uh, news just breaking in the last hour or so, so we don't know that much yet. Uh, the United States dropped a large bomb on Afghanistan on some tunnels and caves where ISIS might be. And when I say large, it's the largest non-nuclear bomb that we have in our arsenal. It's called the Massive Ordnance Air Blast Bomb, or nicknamed the Mother of All Bombs. It's 21,600 pounds, creates a crater that's nearly 1,000 feet wide after being detonated six feet above the ground. And this is the first time it's been used in combat. So uh, it's really interesting to see what this means. Um, Sean Spicer today refused to acknowledge that the president signed off on this. He kept saying, talk to the Defense Department or maybe uh, General uh, John Nicholson, who is the commander in Afghanistan, will have more information. So who the hell knows what's going on right now? I feel like there's just all these, I don't want to say wars, but all these conflicts starting up. It's freaking me out. How are you feeling? Oh, well, I don't know. I, I worried as we all should be. But, you know, who's calling the shots here? Is the president? Are these generals? Who's who's in charge? Somebody uh, stand up and raise their hand. Who's in charge of our military right now? Well, I think Trump likes feeling big and strong when he makes these military moves, but it's we're just getting drawn slowly into all these conflicts, and suddenly, what a surprise! There's no time to talk about Russia anymore because we have to talk about Syria, and we have to talk about North Korea, and now we have to talk about Afghanistan again. There's going to be more information coming out of this in the coming hours, in the coming days, I'm sure, and exactly what happened, what this means, but. When you have something this huge that's creating a thousand-foot-wide crater, yeah, it's Afghanistan. We've been there for over a decade, blah, blah, blah. But uh, it's it just doesn't sound like anything good is going to come of this. No, and if this bomb is the mother of all bombs, does that therefore make the nuclear bomb the father of all bombs? Because we've got some to talk about about nuclear bombs a little later on. Yeah, it's I don't even want to talk about it. I don't want to think about it. Um, I, it's funny that we used to always think that New York City was where you had to be worried about, but L.A. is pretty close to Pyongyang, and if uh, they start throwing uh, nuclear bombs willy-nilly, and, and with those psychopaths in charge in that country, who the hell knows um, what might happen? So it's it's not something to be worried about, but it's something that you keep in the back of your head, I think, that all you need is one psychopath with the capability and a button to push, and World War Three starts. Sadly, we're seeming to have more and more uh, emotionally disturbed people at the helm of many countries. And so the likelihood of the use of these weapons uh, increases by the year, it seems. 
Well, from one new depressing story to one older depressing story, uh, Syria. Lots of stuff is happening in Syria. There's going to be a lot to talk about. So if I don't shut up or if I babble on, please stop me, Kevin. But uh, late last Thursday, uh, we were leaving trivia. President Trump actually ordered 59 Tomahawk missiles to be fired at a Syrian air base. This is in response of Syrian warplanes who dropped sarin gas on a town, killed like 86 people. It was horrible, horrible. Um, Just to give some background on the whole Syrian situation to people who may not know about it. Um, Civil War has been going on there for a long time, all the way back since the Arab Spring in 2011. And there are so many different groups. If you see a map of how it's broken up, there's a bazillion different areas. And of course, two of the largest ones are uh, Assad's government and ISIS. Uh, Russia's pro-Assad. They think he's a lesser of two evils. A lot of people think that, actually. And they say, no, we can't attack Assad because he's fighting ISIS. But they're both horrible. And this has been going on for years. President Obama tried to fix this. Well, I think it's important to point out that where ISIS comes into play here, I think on the American uh, citizens register, it's ISIS is the problem in Syria. They have forgotten about the movement, the Arab Spring movement of 2011, where there were a number of successful revolutions to overthrow dictators in places like Egypt and Libya uh, and a number of other countries in the region. Syria has been fighting this civil war ever since without any success in overthrowing their dictator, Bashar al-Assad. Now, Assad and his forces have been fighting against rebels that are trying to overthrow him. And also, in the meantime, the group known as ISIS, the Islamic State, was able to kind of rise to prominence in the region because of the instability. And as you mentioned, Assad and his forces have been one of the groups fighting against ISIS. So you're right. Many people see him as the lesser of two evils. But when you use chemical weapons on your own people, perhaps that's the line in the sand. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting to find out who draws which line where and when, because everybody has a different idea. Back in 2013, uh, Assad killed more than 1,400 people in uh, chemical attacks in Damascus, and Obama wanted to attack Syria, but, you know, he thought, I should go to Congress first, I should get their authorization. He went there, he really didn't have enough votes. Um, eventually, Russia came up with a deal where Assad would give up his chemical weapons, U.S. would back off, and we said okay, which was a win for Assad, because he killed 1,400 of his own people. And he had to stay in power, and he no longer had to worry about American interference. And while this is happening, Trump, who is now trumpeting the war drums to go to Russia, was tweeting out, you know, why the hell are we going to go to Russia? You know, the rebels are just as bad as the current regime. What do we get for our there for our troubles? Nothing, billions of dollars. Obama stay out. Blah blah. blah. You can just Google them. There's all these tweets, and oh, what a difference four years makes. Well, much like with our own president, it depends on who you listen to, and is the media telling the truth? Because according to uh, the interview that the AFP news agency, this is the uh, the French media, which is the, they're the third behind the AP and Reuters as far as international news out- outlets. They had an exclusive interview with President Assad. And in that interview, he called the reports of his use of chemical weapons 100 percent fabrication and that it's a play that they are staging that we are seeing on our social networks and television. So, you know, he's calling out the media saying that, you know, it's lies, it's fake, much like President Trump has a tendency to do. So, you know, but certainly the images that we're seeing coming out of Syria is hard to uh, look past. I mean, it seems to be that this is being done, that he is using chemical weapons on his own people. Yeah, there's a lot of varying degrees of wag the dog going on, I think. It doesn't mean that things are being made up. If you don't know what wag the dog is, it kind of means pointing to another conflict to uh, keep, you know, if you, if. Bill Clinton was screwing around the White House in the 90s. Oh, you point to a war over here and suddenly no one's paying attention. So suddenly we're not talking about Russia anymore. We're talking about all these wars. So that's happening to a certain degree. But, I mean, you can't – pictures don't lie. And you're seeing what's going on over there. So 
when all this comes down, you're left with a couple of questions here. I think we should go through one one, but one by one. What made Trump change his mind on attacking Assyria now versus what happened back in 2013? One, it seems like he finally realized that being a talking head and just babbling on against the person who's currently in charge is a lot easier than being that person in charge when you have all the data, all the photos, all the information of what's going on. It also looks like Ivanka had something to do with it. Eric Trump said the president's decision was partly influenced by the reaction of Ivanka, who was heartbroken and outraged at these pictures of the children dying from the guy. You know, I don't want to belittle that because we, you see those pictures. It's horrible. We're all heartbroken. We're all outraged. But should foreign policy of this magnitude be based on emotion, especially by the daughter of the president? Uh, Ivanka, the first late – no, wait a minute. No, right. she's not. She's simply, again, the daughter – of the first special advisor now but special advisor (laughs) right but you're right should emotions dictate the decisions that you know it's bad enough if you or i make you know some decision based off of emotion because the repercussions the consequences are going to be minimal they're going to affect us individually or or maybe our, our closest members of our family but when your decisions have the ability to impact the country and the world then you need to be more measured in your decision making and basing it off of emotions because your advisor slash daughter was, you know, you know, having a, a tearful moment because she was seeing these children. I don't know. I mean, it, granted, this is Assad is not a good man. Right. Yeah. He, he's he's been a dictator who has oppressed his own people. But we need to make better decisions. And that's what comes out of the next question being was Trump right to fire the missiles? And I actually can see at least laymen, people like you and me or people out on the street um, just taking either side and being correct. Um, people often say that, you know, it's not our conflict. We shouldn't get involved. And I can understand that point of view. And then people also say, you know, what if – it sounds ridiculous, but what if uh, our government was shooting stuff at us? Would we want England or someone to pop in and save us? I sure as hell would want someone to come help me because it's the right thing to do. And that's one of the things I think Americans think of that, you know, they, they do the right thing all the time whether we do or not. Really, that's the thought in it. So it's not necessarily black or white whether – attacking Syria for this stuff is the right thing to do. Again, I'm playing out of my emotion. It's not hard. But I think when you're a president, you have to kind of take emotion out of it and kind of look at the facts. True. And, and more importantly, you know, what gives the president the authority to order these airstrikes? Does he need the approval of Congress or can he go with his own? Now, the Constitution is intentionally vague in a lot of areas, and this is a perfect example of it. Constitution gives the president the control over the military as commander in chief, but it also gives Congress the ability to declare war. And so you have something known as the Authorization for Use of Military Force, or AUMF for short, which uh, Congress uses for hostilities against a particular enemy or set of enemies. Now, there is no clear answer on this. Does the president need to get approval from Congress before acting? Not necessarily, not in the eyes of the Constitution. At the same time, is Congress the one that's supposed to pull the purse strings on war and determine whether or not we go to fight? Technically, yes. So this is one of those uh, vague areas of our system of laws that has us in this kind of limbo situation. Nonetheless, you know, President Obama in 2013 went to Congress for approval, did not receive it. And so he himself chose to back off of retaliation. So President Trump did not. Let's also keep in mind that people like President Clinton just bombed the hell out of Bosnia without uh, any authorization from Congress. Truman did it in Korea to a certain degree. So 
again, it's one of those things that's gray areas there and what is an act of war, what's declaring war, and what's just a you know, combat operation. It's 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 in the eye of the beholder, and that usually the, the party that is in the minority is going to think one thing, and the party that's in the majority will think another, regardless of which party it is. Oh, absolutely. It is used by both sides. So this is not a partisan issue. This is just one of those gray areas of our Constitution. So the final question is, what's next? And I look at that as being the $64,000 question. What's Russia going to do? Um, Rex Tillerson's been meeting with ambassadors in Russia with Putin himself. I, I had to laugh. I saw the uh, news article that, that was titled, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson and Russian President Vladimir Putin appear to agree on at least one thing. The relationship between the U.S. and Russia could be better. They were actually saying it could be getting as bad or worse than during Cold War years. So that's not good. And I don't know that it will get to the point that it did in the Cold War, but has no one learned from history? You know, the Cold War didn't have too many positive effects on the Soviet Union. And if Putin is thinking that this time around it's it's their chance, their uh, time to shine, I don't know that that's going to happen here either. The United States is still a dominant nation. And it's not like we've lost some steps the way the Soviet Union had by the 1980s, you know, in dealing with us before their collapse. So, you know, I'm not so sure that this is Russia's chance to take over uh, control of the world. But, you know, I'll agree with them. Right. Relationships between relations between these two countries could be better and should be better. That's you sound like the president right now. Yeah, I, I, having a good relationship with Russia is better than a bad one, isn't it? Well, sir, what, what about them hacking into the election? I don't know anything about that, but it's better to have a good relationship. Okay, Trump. Uh, well, this whole Syria thing caused a lot of problems for our boy Sean Spicer. Good old Spicy there, um, for lack of a better term, put his foot in his mouth. Um, he had a big gaffe during a press conference on Tuesday. He was discussing what was going on and said, you know, we didn't use chemical weapons in World War II. You know, you had someone as despicable as Hitler who didn't even sink to using chemical weapons. And later on, he tried to clarify what he meant was, you know, I think when you uh, when it comes to sarin gas, uh, he was not using the gas on his own people the same way Assad is doing. And he immediately, you could see in his face, realized what he did. And no. he started, kind of started stammering and, and um, I, 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 and uh, eventually he just had a brain fart, I think. And he couldn't come up with a concentration camp. And he said Holocaust centers, um, which I'm like, what is that? Yes, the Holocaust centers. centers. Yeah, you know, it, it sounds like the Jewish Community Center. I'm going to head on down there afterwards and right. go to the gym. Um Here's a hot take for me. I, as I mentioned earlier, I was raised Jewish. I'm not really religious, though. I don't necessarily hold this against uh, Spicer as, as much as other people. I, mean, I look at what he was trying to say, and he was trying to – I understand what he was trying to say, that Assad's a bad guy, and he just made a dumb analogy, and you know, stupid things just flew out, uh, flowed out of his mouth. But it wasn't purposeful. I mean there's so many things to get outraged about. Um, it was dumb, and it's fun to get mad, I guess, but I'm not holding it against him as much as some other people are. Well – I can understand where he's coming from as well. And I, you're right. I don't believe that this was intentional, that he was really trying to uh, say something here that would hurt the feelings of the people who suffered at the hands of the Nazis during the Holocaust. But, you know, the gas chambers were more than just showers, right? The chemical weapons were used on the grandest scale, right, where six million people were systematically eliminated from the world because of their religion or or their disabilities. And when you are speaking on behalf of the president of the United States, you are the face of the administration to the media and to the public, you've got to be better prepared than that. You know, you can't afford to make the kind of mistakes that the average person would in your position. And realize that a lot of those people are from Germany. They were his people, whether he liked it or not. 
Right. Exactly. And, you know, I understand he's human. He makes mistakes. And, and there are, are bigger issues than to worry about Sean Spicer stepping on a, his words and putting his foot in his mouth. But again, it's another example. Had nothing else happened to this point in the Trump presidency with Sean Spicer and the gaffes that he's made, then this would be more forgivable. But yet here it is again, another example of the Trump administration not being able to put their best foot forward uh, in dealing with the media. Spicer must be a really nice guy because this is, again, another situation where I heard people on the opposing side really saying, you know what, you know, Sean Spicer's a nice guy. He's got a good relationship with the media. I'm like, man, they all love this dude. So, again, I, we pointed out in the past that, you know, maybe he's not so bad. Maybe he's just the worst job ever. Uh, but it's it, – he's, he's Sean Spicer. He's spicy. Um, this isn't going to help when Melissa McCarthy is hosting Saturday Night Live in the next couple of weeks at all. No, Connecticut College must be so proud, his alma mater, right? He's he's made uh, quite a name for himself, and you know maybe that's brought some attention to the school as well. Oddly enough, he has this misstep here, speaking about chemical weapons and referencing the Holocaust. Jared Kushner's been in the news a lot lately for his role in the White House, and according to uh, Chloe Sorvino at Forbes magazine, an article she wrote recently, Jared Kushner's grandparents themselves survived the Holocaust, the concentration camps before immigrating to the United States from Belarus after the war. So, you know, interesting connection to the Trump administration itself. Yeah, I actually didn't know that. I, I knew somebody who was in uh, Dachau and in uh, Auschwitz, too. And it, it's really interesting. It, you look at them and the stories they can tell. And hearing it from the person firsthand is much different than reading it in the book. And I think more people need to like, go to the Holocaust Museum, need to read this stuff. Uh, and him being Jewish, and now Ivanka, I guess, probably doesn't help matters uh, with his relationship with Steve Bannon, who Breitbart, I don't, you know, I don't want to say for a fact, but Breitbart has been accused many times for, among other things, being a little anti-Semitic. Uh, there's been a, a feud brewing for a long time. It kind of came to a head in the last week between Bannon and uh, Jared Kushner. Uh, you know, it started with Bannon being taken off the National Security Council. Then there's been rumors of uh, Bannon and uh, Reince Priebus being replaced uh, in the Oval Office. Here's the main problem from what I could do. You know, Kushner is, relatively speaking, in that White House a moderate. He was a Democrat before uh, moving into the White House, from what I've from what I've read. And he's been business interests all over the world is what Steve Bannon would call a globalist, which you know he does not like that. And I guess you could consider him the establishment, while Steve Bannon is anti-establishment. He's a populist. He's also kind of nutty. Um, from what article I read said, you know, it's the oligarchy versus populism. And it's funny that those two factions are going against each other where the American people seem to reject both. They they hate big money in politics, but they also revere a lot of the things like the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, that um, Bannon wouldn't mind just ripping down to get what he needs. Well, I like moderate, and I think that's what this country needs right now is some moderation in their politics. And so if Jared Kushner can bring that moderation to the Trump White House, then good for him. And I, I hope we see some positive results as uh, or positive effects as a result. But, you know, as far as Donald Trump draining the swamp in Washington, D.C., you know, Kushner's family is also very wealthy, right? He comes yeah. from $1.8 billion, again, according to Forbes magazine. So is that really draining the swamp? But I'll take it if he can make reasonable, rational decisions that are based on the facts and based on the data, uh, and he's not going to act on impulse the way that I feel Steve Bannon. L lesser of two evils, man. That's what it comes down to sometimes in the White House. Oftentimes, yes, in politics, that is the way. 
if you look at some of the news stories and interviews that Trump has given over the last week, he's getting ready to throw Bannon out under the bus. Bannon's not going to be around much longer. He told the New York Post, that, you know, I like Steve, but you have to remember he's not involved in my campaign until very late. And he basically said, you know, I, I, he didn't have anything to do with my win. I won. Yesterday, he told the Wall Street Journal that, you know, Bannon's just a guy who works for him. Um, in private, apparently, he's telling people that Bannon is not a team player. And you know, the, the biggest part, which comes to Trump's ego, he doesn't like when people uh, call him pre- President Bannon, like SNL did. And that's really uh, – you can't, you can't piss him off and make, make his ego uh, get hit at all. So it's, I, I think his days are definitely numbered. Certainly. And according to Newt Gingrich, uh, was quoted in a New York Times article by Philip Rucker, Ashley Parker, and Robert Costa. Gingrich said, Bannon is a brilliant pirate who has had a huge impact, but White Houses in the end are like the U.S. Navy – Corporate structures are very hard on pirates. So, you know, I think the end result for Bannon is that he certainly will be diminished, if not removed from his role, because Donald Trump does not take kindly to challenges to his authority. And certainly somebody that has an agenda as big as Steve Bannon is not going to fare well with Donald Trump and his personality. And moreover, as you said, Jess, you know, populism is an idea that is also rejected by the majority of America, you know, and if that weren't the case, then, you know, why wasn't William Jennings Bryan ever president? <laughs> I think, though, it is important to uh, mention when it comes to pirates, they have some good qualities. They're always searching for more booty, which I can definitely relate to. This is a family podcast, Jesse. <laughs> sorry, guys. Sorry. Um, so it's apparently this beef is squashed. Yeah, right. Um, and you're not going to beat the son-in-law of the president. I'm sorry, he's married married to his daughter. Uh, no matter what, uh, he's going to win. It's just the way it goes. Because I don't even think uh, Ivanka will divorce her husband just because daddy says so. Though who knows? You know, we never know what to expect. Uh, some more news coming out last evening into this morning from North Korea. I mean, there's already been a lot of talk about with North Korea, uh, but it sounds like they may be. Uh, Detonating a nuclear bomb any minute now, t- test-wise, you know, in a cave somewhere in North Korea. That's that's not good. It's ugh, God. In between that going on and Afghanistan, it's just more and more problems. And we said you know, wackos with their finger on the button. You know, Kim Jong Un is one of those people we're talking about. Yeah, and you know, I'm a little bit worried about the fact that Donald Trump still believes that he can unilaterally deal with North Korea. He keeps saying that. Right? Had a couple of tweets. This week, North Korea is looking for trouble. If China decides to help, that would be great. If not, we'll solve the problem without them. USA, again, like it's a rally. And, you know, we can't afford to not have China involved in this process. They are a geographic neighbor to North Korea. They have been North Korea's lifeline, their trade partner, the only thing holding them up. So there is no way we solve this problem without China because our relationship with China is so delicate. We can't afford to throw the baby out with the bathwater in trying to stop the North Koreans. So, China is going to be an integral part of any solution to this problem. It has to be. When I see him tweet things like that, it just seems like pure jingoism to me. It's like after 9-11, everybody, myself included, you're running around going, USA, USA, ah, we're the best. But that, that doesn't help things, and a lot of the country doesn't find that to be um, a, a good way to, to approach things. Uh, you don't say if they're not going to do it, we're going to do it ourselves because we're American and we're the best. No, no. You have to wait until the time is right and you can get people to work with you, although – 
I guess his his meeting with the Chinese president went okay. Um, no more fights. China's uh, reportedly sent 150,000 troops to the North Korean border. Uh, U.S. aircraft carrier strike group is going towards that region. Uh, so it's 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 a buildup, which I guess it's good that we're doing it with another country, but it's not good that's happening in general. And of course, you have uh, Kim Jong Un talking about you know reckless acts of aggression, and uh, we're gonna they're gonna mess with whatever acts of aggression that the United States wants to take. Um, his father was nuts, and this guy is just as nuts, only uh, less experienced and in, in younger and more of a more of a toad if you look at him. Yeah, Kim Jong-un stands primed to drop nuclear weapons as Trump's armada steams forward across the ocean. It's, you know, scary times for the world. You know, in the end, I don't think that it's necessarily going to come to World War III. But, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis, this is not. <laughs> However, you know, Kennedy's handling of that situation in October of 1962 was a lot more graceful. And you also have to realize that, you know, we disagree with people in Russia. They weren't like psychopaths. That's why the mutually assured destruction thing worked is that they weren't – they knew anybody knew that if they started launching weapons, it's pretty much the end of the world. We're all going to die. But when you have these people who are unhinged – we say that – use that word to talk about Trump. But, man, it doesn't even compare when it comes to someone like Kim Jong-un. These guys, they think they're gods. They're treated like gods in their country. They'll do those things and not think of the consequences like that, and that's what you have to worry about. Well, maybe we should just send Dennis Rodman back over. He should reenact the the interview, the movie with Seth Rogen and James Franco. Go over there, just take him out. Come on, Rodman. There's actually a website out there. I can't remember, but if you just Google like website for nuclear bombs, um, there's a website where you can put in any kind of nuclear bomb that's ever been developed, whether it's you know the the ones that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, or the ones that Russia has tried, or it's just a suitcase bomb, and you can pick any address in America. And then say whether it detonates above the ground or at ground level and what the weather conditions are. And it shows you what the fallout is and the radius. It's disturbing, but it's also interesting just to know that if you know, say something – we're in Connecticut. If something went off in New York City, would we be affected? It's a site that – it's both scary and informative. I would tell people to check it out though if I could even remember what it was called. You know, during the Manhattan Project when these weapons were originally being tested back uh, during World War II and Robert Oppenheimer, the, the kind of the father of the nuclear bomb – uh, it was said that as he watched those original tests, he kind of faced forward with a blank expression on his face as he came to the realization of what his genius had created. And he knew that it was not good for humanity. So hopefully these world leaders can get it together and come to some kind of compromise where we, again, like mutually assured destruction, choose not to use them against each other. Yeah, I believe he said, uh, now I've become death, the destroyer of worlds. Which uh, is it's true when you watch that if if you don't even know what you're expecting, and you see that firsthand. Ay, ay, ay. Um, I mean, there's nothing really to say other than we're gonna wait and see what happens next. It's just very sad, very sad. On to some, I guess, less sad news. Uh, there was a special election in Kansas, Kansas District Four, this week. And the Republicans were always going to win this one, and the question was how much they were, they were going to win and what that means for the future. Uh, Republican Ron Estes, who I always think of – I think it was an actor like Rob Estes or something. He was a soap opera actor, like a Merrill's place, one of these places in the 90s. That's neither here nor there. Anyways, he defeated the Democrat James Thompson by seven percentage points, which is a lot closer than it was anticipated. Um, Trump then went to say, you know, great win in Kansas last night for Ron Estes, uh, easily winning the congressional uh, race against the Dems, spent heavily in predicted victory. Uh, none of that was true, actually. They didn't spend that much money and no one predicted victory. But, you know, what does fake news matter to the president? The question is, going forward, what does this mean for the upcoming Georgia election and just for 2018? Was this being closer a good sign or is it just showing that it may be good for the Democrats, but just not enough? 
perhaps my mind has been thrown into the gutter, you know, with your your pirate's booty uh, statement <laughs> earlier. But all I can think of is how many members of the opposition went around spray painting the letter T in front of his last name on all of his campaign signs. Um, but who knows? I wasn't there. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Kansas, oddly enough, as I mentioned, William Jennings Bryan before, it used to be the hotbed of left-wing populism 120 years ago, and over time has kind of shifted to a more conservative state. And if you want some more background into that, you should read Thomas Frank's What's the Matter with Kansas? How Conservatives Have Won the Heart of America book. That it's, it's a good read for how this has happened over time. But again, the Democrats never really expected to win that seat. And for Donald Trump to say that the Democrats spent so much money and predicted victory, well, that's just him, again, saying that facts don't matter because that's that's not the case. Uh, but, you know, hopefully this doesn't have a negative impact on John Ossoff's race and, and maybe some more uh, people who are looking to bring progress to America will be able to get in those positions to do so. You know, whether I want to grow up and mature or not, I guess I have no say in that because when you said put a T before his name, it took me like a minute ago. What's he talking about? I'm like, oh, I see now. Um, you know, I guess you just my mind isn't as much in the gutter as it used to be. Uh, You're growing I, up. That's good. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's growing up. It's what we have to do whether we like to or not. Um, it's interesting to see uh, just the politics in Kansas itself right now. Uh, and how, how that may have – Sam Brownback, former senator, is the current governor. He's one of the most unpopular governors in the uh, in the country. I actually almost ran him over once when I lived in Washington, D.C. I was in a taxi, and uh, Sam Brownback was crossing the road, Constitution Avenue, and was looking where he was going, looking at his phone. And I think maybe the taxi driver was looking either, and we came within like a foot of hitting him. He kind of looked at us like, what the hell is wrong with us? And I was like, oh, you almost killed Senator Brownback. And, you know. No one knew what I was talking about in that cab other than me, but whatever. <laughs> well, you mentioned that Sam Brownback was the most unpopular governor in America until this week. <laughs> yeah. Because on April 11th, the Morning Consult poll released a, a new uh, poll that said that he is no longer the most unpopular governor in America. That honor now goes to New Jersey's own Chris Christie, a former member of Donald Trump's team. I used to be a big Chris Christie fan, man. And then, then Trump happened and Bridgegate happened and it all just kind of fell apart. Because there was a time where he was – I don't want to call him the maverick, but he was doing what he thought was right or what he wanted to do, not necessarily what the party wanted. He hugged he, President Obama. Yeah. That, this, you lost Rob the election by hugging Obama. But it was even – I remember a thing where uh, he appointed a Muslim member – to the I was the New Jersey Supreme Court, of course, for something, and a bunch of Republicans were like, "Oh, they're going to try to impose Sharia law," blah, and he basically told them to go screw themselves, things like that. Um, I know he's had, also had some battles with the teachers' unions, which you know may make you look at him not too fondly. But I, I generally liked him um, as much as like like any politician. But man, yeah, what a I don't think I've seen such an epic fall in like a two-year period for any other politician. Like, like a, I mean, I guess he had the Bridgegate scandal, but it wasn't quite the same as like a personal scandal. Well, honestly, to you know, Jesse, I was never a fan of Chris Christie, but I he would have been one of the Republicans that I would have been okay with being in higher office because he was more moderate and he was willing to accept help uh, from whatever side as long as it was helping his state and his people until he started to pander to the right, as a lot of politicians are or pandering to either side in general when you're trying to get elected. And that kind of turned me off on him. And, you know, I guess it serves him right for being a Dallas Cowboy fan in the state of New Jersey. I mean, he, he you know, it's <laughs> Giants or Eagles. Come on. What's what's he doing? And, you know, much like the Cowboys, he had a fall from grace. It's tough, especially with the Giants technically playing in New Jersey and then being in the same division as the Cowboys. Like, he couldn't have been a Red Sox fan. 
And he can't be a Cowboys fan. Just it's just not how it works in in that part of the world. And he loves country. he loves Bruce Springsteen, and yet his, everything about his politics goes against Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, oh Bruce. Well, you know, I, I think it doesn't matter what your politics are. If you're from Jersey, you probably have to love Bruce. True. Um. So last topic I really want to bring up here is, and I have to start off by saying this. I got to apologize. I was watching Bill Maher this weekend, and again, I always think it's funny that Bill Maher was something I couldn't stand for a long time. And then suddenly we're on the same side of everything, and I enjoy his show a lot more now that it's all anti-Trump, where I'm not really a Trump fan. Um, but they had someone on there who pointed out that you – know, I've been I've been calling him Devin Nunez, but apparently he's of Portuguese descent. And as a result, it's Nunez, not Nunez. I've been hearing other people say Nunez, and I'm like, oh, they're idiots. They're wrong. No, no, I'm the idiot, so I apologize for that. So it's Devin Nunez, not Nunez. Um, more fun with him this week, though. He had to uh, recuse himself from the Russia probe. Um, I think his reputation is probably hurt for good. There's no coming back from that. It just depends whether his uh, his district will still vote for him again and again and again. And as we know, the the rate of return for those members of Congress uh, is very high because you know once you are the incumbent, it's over ninety percent reelection. Uh, chances. So uh, most likely, unless he does something so damning in his own district, he's probably going to get sent back. There was an April Fool's joke going on last week that uh, George K was going to go run against him. I mean, that would be interesting, but no, no, he's not running. But uh, the people who replaced him on the committee, they're not necessarily much better. So he's uh, replaced by representatives Michael Conway from Texas, Tom Rooney from Florida, and Trey Gowdy from South Carolina. Just giving a little background to some of these people. Conway, he compared Democrats in Nevada bringing in popular Mexican soap opera stars to help get out the vote to being the same as the Mexican interference hacking scandal. Yeah, and that's... that's what are you thinking when you say these things? You know? Yeah, that's that's the same thing. Yep, telenovelas are the same. You know, that's they're at the center of international espionage. So absolutely, that's the same situation. Yeah, God. Then you have Trey Gowdy. He's the dude who is in charge of the Benghazi hearings. So I'm sure you know his his he's not going to be looking one way or the other. He'll be straight down the middle when it comes to handling with this investigation. Absolutely. Yeah. And although let's you know must bring to light again Trump's own words. We like to bring those to light. Donald Trump said that in regards to Benghazi, that Trey Gowdy failed miserably. So how will that affect this? You know, it's, it's it really, they can't just help, help attacking each other. And that's that's one of their problems. Um, and then finally, you got Rooney, who said, you know, Obama should be blamed for Benghazi, claimed that the U.S. had involvement with the Russian Brotherhood, and actually cited Huma Abedin as, uh, she was at the time, uh, the State Department's Deputy Chief of Staff, saying, you know, she she has ties to the Brotherhood Brotherhood. No, no, she became even more famous later on by being Chief of Staff for Hillary Clinton and being married to our Anthony good friend, Wiener. Anthony Weiner. And it actually was just announced today that she's writing a book on her side of the whole sex scandal. So that, that's actually going to be must must read uh, material, I think. And uh, for this dude, Rooney even had people like John McCain, Lindsey Graham, and John Boehner defending Huma and saying this guy's nuts. So these are the people who are taking over for Nunez. So it's like you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss to a certain degree. Exactly. And and McCain and Graham and, and Boehner, even though he's no longer in Washington, just these are the level-headed establishment Republicans. But that's more of what we need. We've got to stop going to the fringes. Let's bring back some more of that establishment mainstream because that's where consensus lies, in the middle. Yeah, I, I was actually watching an interview, not to go back to Bill Maher, but he was talking about how he thinks the right has gone super far right, and he doesn't consider the, as you, if you look globally, the Democrats to be a liberal organization than to be moderates, and he thinks they should go back farther to the left. I know you're for the left. I'm much more in the center. So uh, I, I don't know. I wish... 
we could all just get along and find common ground, which is what I think the center is, as opposed to just being the extreme of either side. You're right. I am to the left, Jesse, but I'm not naive enough to think that things are going to get done on the polar opposites. We have to come to the middle to find some common ground. And, and, you know, we've got to find more politicians who are willing to sacrifice some of their wants to get the things that America needs. Yeah. So speaking of Nunes and all this stuff, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he went to the White House, got information, and then gave a speech, and then went back to the White House to tell them about the information they gave him, yada, yada, yada. It turns out that both Republican and Democrat lawmakers and some other staff have reviewed the intelligence reports that he had discussed, and none of them have found any evidence the Obama administration did anything wrong. Uh, one anonymous source in the congressional intelligence world said Rice's request regarding the unmasking was normal and appropriate. Another one said there was absolutely nothing alarming about the intelligence reports. So again, it's more, I, I hate saying this, but it's more fake news. It's more wag the dog. It's more just saying, you know, look at the scandal. Um, is, is it real? I don't know, but let's talk about it for a long time. It's diversion politics once again. As we keep saying, it's anything but the real issues that matter so that we can sneak those in under the rug. So, you know, we may not be hearing about Devin Nunes as much anymore, but he'll always have a special place in my heart for being a goober. Um, that's all I got to talk about today. What, what do we have for Kevin's Corner this week? Well, Jesse, <laughs> we talked a lot today about how scary the world is right now and, and how unstable uh, things are. War is a terrible thing, and it's a last resort. And given the state of the world, it's best that our president, as well as other world leaders, take their fingers off of their respective triggers. The world begs of them that they use the human ability to reason in order to negotiate a more diplomatic solution to their problems. With so much uncertainty in our times, one thing has always remained true, and that is humans of all races, creeds, and cultures seek peace and the ability to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. This is a tie that binds us together when so much else seems to drive us apart. And as the famous song says, war, what is it good for? Absolutely, absolutely nothing. nothing. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you back here in New England, uh, but a mile away from me. I'll see you later on tonight. All of our fans, just remember, it's been great. You've been growing in numbers. You've been following us on Twitter. It's wonderful. Just go to grabthembythepod.com. You're going to find all the links to all of our iTunes, Stitcher, all that stuff, Facebook, Twitter. You know, I'm not going to go through every time because it's all there, but it's been a pleasure talking to you, Kevin. It's been a pleasure talking to you, our fans. It's just been a pleasure to talk. So, uh, until next week, it's been fun. Later. 